first off, I want to start with uh, thank you for tuning in to my podcast. And this is the uh, first episode of many um, where I kind of introduce you into who I am, um, my story. And um, hopefully it's an inspiration um, and not something that's sad or upsetting. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, um, at Greater Memorial Hospital, and that's why I grew up in the city, so I'm a city guy. Um, oftentimes, I would travel different places throughout Georgia, uh, different counties, um, and like most, for most people, you are probably here. Growing up in the city is rough, and you start, eventually you you start to get a graphs of where you live or, or you start to understand your area and I grew up in the foster care system I was adopted uh, at the age of one and I would always hear these stories of who I was before I would actually eat um, so unfortunately I don't know my birth parents and I don't know where um my background uh, pretty much I have a twin and he's the uh, same age as me. We are not identical, but we're fraternal. Um, I'm currently living within Maine, uh, Orono, Maine, to be exact. Uh, I moved here for school. Um, I'll get to that part later on in the uh, episode. But uh, <clears throat> this is kind of something new for me. And I'm sitting here as I stare into the screen, speaking to the mic and record myself. Um, asking myself if I'm ready to do this and if I'm ready to tell my story. But this is a perfect time to uh, start that. So you may hear my voice jitter a little bit, and that's only because I'm a little bit nervous. I'm pretty sure by episode three, we'll probably be rocking in a more um, <clears throat> unraspy voice. Uh, that's how you can tell I'm kind of nervous when my voice change or whatnot. Uh, I get enough awkward I guess uh, anyways I grew up in the foster care system uh, I was a church church boy um, grew up in the church um, while I don't go to church now I still uh, take part in my religious beliefs but that's not it's still a big part of my life and I still appreciate what happened throughout my life um overall it was a rough experience uh growing up in the city is hard growing up in foster care is extremely difficult uh especially when you feel like you have no support when i uh firstly learned that i was adopted <clears throat> it didn't hit me that much actually i i wasn't confused i wasn't pretty much upset um it wasn't until I would reach my teens that I would start to get upset and I would start to question why me? Um, <clears throat> the events that would go on within our uh, living situation would push me to question myself. Why me? And so this is being adopted is a whole different level. Um, a lot of people, when you see the, uh, 
shows that that talk about adoption and talk about the foster care system it's a whole different story than what they portray through videos and through television um it's a whole different story not to say i'm not grateful for uh actually growing up in the foster care system but it is definitely a different aspect than what most people would actually tell you um of course, I had the opportunity to uh, be there with my brother, and that's the best part. I was raised inside of a foster care home. Still, even though I was adopted, uh, we got to see different kids from all walks of life. I'm telling you, it was, man, uh, Spanish-speaking uh, kids, uh, you name it, we saw it. And we got to hear all these different types of stories. So my life is full of different stories, and it's full of different journeys that I was able to witness while growing up and I decided that I wanted to do this in order to encourage others who may go through some of the similar actions that I go through um, that I present to you so of course sometimes I um, I get a little bit I guess emotional and since I'm a a male I was always raised to not be that emotional in fact it's hard to be emotional in certain situations and you start to understand that being emotional uh, makes you vulnerable and so growing up it was best to not be vulnerable in those situations uh did i advance from this stage uh, i can tell you behind closed doors i'll be more emotional behind closed doors or with people that i know than i will be in public um, everybody takes it differently, and you have to understand that. But anyways, uh, going to school was a totally different story, being adopted. Um, once the kids found out, or once my peers found out that I was adopted, they found out we was adopted or whatever, man, that was the uh, talk of the town because you would witness every other kid walk in to class, and they would... Um, they would have all they would they would have the newest styles, the newest backpacks, the newest shoes, cell phones. We wasn't allowed to have cell phones, none of that uh, type of stuff. Snacks and all this other type of stuff. You know, it's all materialistic stuff to me now, but back then it did it mattered at that moment. And uh, so through elementary all the way up into high school, um, it was a difficult situation. I I can say that for the for the most, um, but I still appreciated what I went through, um, regardless of what the circumstance was of where I'm at now. Um, it impacted my life a lot, and I appreciate it, uh, but we didn't have the same materials that everybody else had. Um, my adoptive mother struggled in life, and uh, it was a middle middle class family and it wasn't it wasn't all peaches and creams each and every night um but she still provided for us and that's that itself is remarkable uh growing up in a single parent home <clears throat> tons of family uh some supported some did not uh, it was a sticky situation and so that's er everything that uh regular child would have 
and that you thought you would get in foster care is totally different situation. And I, we was always dependent, and that's kind of how, I guess, life shaped itself when I was growing up. I, we was always always dependent on something. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and I and I, I used to think that this was the worst thing to to go through to be dependent on somebody and then that's kind of what motivated me to today I don't want to be dependent on people and throughout these episodes you're going to learn how independence independence is key um so but anyways going through uh I guess I guess I'm going to skip ahead and um so I guess to middle school through high school we can start that for the first episode and i'll give you a little insight uh with a little bit jump into college uh around seventh grade or i went to all boys academy pretty much uh it was all all male all that was the uh, type of school that i went to it wasn't private it was semi-private slash public uh it's right in the heart <clears throat> of Atlanta and it was the uh it was a nice school actually I, I loved it I got into robotics uh it, a lot of programs with Boy Scouts I did it um I wasn't the best scholar that I can be I wasn't a uh, AB student <clears throat> I'm still not an AB student at times I guess you can count me as a CBA students and even uh failed a couple classes at a couple times, <clears throat> but overall, uh, it was a great school. Um, bullies, of course, they existed. Uh, anywhere you go, there's always going to be somebody that dislike you for who you are. Um, like I said, been adopted. That was that staple in our lives that put held us back pretty much, and you have to realize that. Even though we was adopted, it wasn't the same situation. Uh, we still face trials and tribulations each and every day. Uh, it wasn't until high school that I got to uh, realize um, shopping at thrift stores or stuff like that or, or being dependent on somebody for clothes or whatnot, it didn't matter. Um, the church was very involved in our lives. Uh, they knew the struggle. And that's the <clears throat> part of the community of the church of our neighborhood. That's the part I loved about growing up in Atlanta. Uh, you always had a community behind you. If you needed something, uh, all you had to do was open your mouth and reach out. And sometimes people notice. Uh, my peers, however, they would look at it differently and would continue to judge and pick on us um, Regardless of what we wore, what we had, or whatnot, um, field trips, barely. If it ain't free, uh, I didn't pick it up, or I didn't even bring it up. Uh, so things like that. Um, our, my living situation, <clears throat> our living si situation kind of changed around middle school and high school. We got to the age to where we felt that we was grown enough and old enough to to want materialistic things at the time it wasn't good for us and it's still even 
into high school, it still wasn't good enough for us or whatnot. It wasn't good for us to have those materialistic things. Um, we would have to sneak to have cell phones and things like that. So it was a strict household, and, and I don't doubt the actions of my adoptive mother. She was she's a great person. She only meant good by what she did, and I'm pretty sure at the time. But as a child, as a person uh at that time, I didn't know that, so it was difficult to uh partake in life. <clears throat> so we wanted the cell phones, we wanted the laptops, uh things like that. My first laptop wasn't until geez I think first year of high school it was a old MacBook or whatnot. And we would form this hustle for cell phones. And I remember going to school one day. I had a couple bucks in my pocket or whatever, about 40 or 50 bucks. And I remember buying a Samsung from a kid. Uh, he just wanted to sell it. Uh, so <clears throat> later on in the uh, month, I would end up having like six or seven, eight phones or whatnot, four or five different phones. And it would be unknown to my adoptive mother uh, because we wasn't allowed to have those type of things. Uh, there was no TV in our room. There was no game system, no board games and stuff like that. Maybe a couple of few small items, books. Um, but it was a strict household. And so we, that was our materialistic stuff in our eyes. Uh, that we couldn't have and we couldn't afford. But at a time, you know, as a child, you you really don't understand that type of stuff when you're growing up. And you don't realize now that that stuff costs money. And <clears throat> you got better stuff to spend your money on. And so you have to actually realize that. Uh, but it, it came to a time to where I, I would go to school with tons of money, come home with different phones. Um, that's how I got into computers, used to start repairing phones, um, and my doctor mother collected junk from the street, and a lot of people would be, you know, ashamed, and so we, we would, we would assist in this daily task after, uh, school or on the weekends, and we would see our peers from school, and we would pick up the items from the street or whatever, you know, I would pray, <laughs> on my soul that I never saw one of my peers from school while while collecting items off the side of the road. But what for most people didn't understand was that that put food on the table. Um <clears throat> that provided for the family. And 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 once I started to realize that, man, I was excited to get up on a Saturday morning to go sell <clears throat> old computers or different type of items. Uh, that we collected from the street, so it was, it was, a, it was a wild experience, and we got to meet different people from all aspects of the of life, um, and and that kind of that's just the middle class element uh, within the city, and you got to realize that growing up around us is different type of gangs. You got so many gangs. You got drugs floating around. <clears throat> it, it's a horrible place to environment to raise a child in so at the time we didn't know that we're, we're, we're just kids we're just going doing by what we was told of course there was always the rebellious side in, in us and we had to understand that 
growing up <clears throat> from that moment um being rebel rebellious uh, got us into different situations it was crazy you got a beaten by one person you did something everybody in the house was valued to uh get you i remember the time i snuck outside just to go outside <clears throat> and uh my doctor mother grandmother used her cane to try to get us in and that i mean you know, right now i can sit up here and laugh at the moments uh, that i had in life and or whatnot but if you think back into times to where when i when i was going through those situations i used to be very upset i used to be getting beat with a broom or 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 cane for just slipping outside it was outrageous in my in my eyes but that was discipline it was inst instilling in me a uh a, a different type of person and it's who it made me to be today um and then as i progressed through high school we started to get involved in clubs and different programs and whatnot um the school i went to was a stem school so i was able to get involved in robotics boy scouts uh debate club different type of activities and i i remember <clears throat> when i when i first started to to hear students talk about college and, and, and life after high school, uh, I could always see myself wanting to be a, uh, a a police officer. For some, we live right across the street from the police station, but I, I can tell you right now, you call the police, it's going to take them an hour to get to our house. It, it, it's complicated. Uh, and, and I guess that's the neighborhood we lived in. Even though the police was right up the street, they always dispatched somebody from a different location. But we always saw the police, so we grew up around that environment. <clears throat> and we knew the officers of the uh of the uh, of that district. And unlike where I live now in Maine, you see police every single minute of the day and it's something that you have to avoid, I guess, if you say so. Um but we had the connection with the police. Uh, but I always wanted to be a police officer. I was fascinated about the different cars, uh, the equipment. It always fascinated me. But at the time, I never knew what I wanted once I finished school. Um, it wasn't until around the 11th grade I started <clears throat> thinking about college. And this is, of course, I'm rebellious at home. Our living situation is not the best. I don't have what I want in life. I don't have what I what I always wanted. I don't have, I can't, I'm not free, I guess in a sense, in a, in a, in a way. And you start to understand, I, I started to understand that I want more in life. Um, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't live like this and I, I don't want to end up like in the same spot. So around the 11th grade, 10th and 11th grade, I started thinking about thinking about our school. And that's when we did a tour. We went down to Alabama, different type of uh, states. We started to tour different schools, Morehouse, Georgia Tech, <clears throat> a bunch of historical schools throughout Georgia, Alabama, and different other states. And we got a chance to uh, visit colleges and whatnot and, and that kind of inspired me when I went to a um, historical black university or college 
And I learned about college from that moment forward. <clears throat> and I started researching. I did my research on, a, on a various topics. Um, at first, I was like, no, college ain't for me. Uh, I'm, first of all, I'm African-American from an underprivileged family. I'm in the foster care system. I'm not getting any help to get there. She can't pay for it. I can't pay for it. The next best bet is to join the military. <clears throat> Her husband was in the military, so it was kind of, I guess, a tradition anyways. But I I, 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 come, I, I thought about the uh, topic a while. Uh, that's when I started making a connection. Uh, the school that we went to knew that we was good at computers. Instead of them calling the certified technicians for our computers and technology devices, we ran the uh, AV department. We ran, when they needed stuff fixed, they, teachers would call on us uh, to come fix their items before they would call the actual certified technicians. And we're talking about a, a district-wide school system that had tons and tons of resources to get their stuff fixed, but they would call me and my brother because we was smart with the computers uh, because collecting junk, we was able to take a loose computers and put them back together. So we started to, uh, <clears throat> we started to understand the uh, build of a computer and that's how I got into computers and whatnot from that aspect by collecting junk off the side of the street. But <clears throat> I knew I was good at computers and I knew I wanted to be into law enforcement and that's, kind of started the trickle-down effect. My first thought was, well, how am I going to get to college? Well, let me find somebody that can help me start working on this process. So I started working with the graduation coach, my mentors, uh, you name it. <clears throat> I was researching day and night on what I can do to get to college. I knew I didn't have enough money to pay for it myself. I didn't know how to do FAFSA. Um, <clears throat> the only thing I know how to do is manage money, uh, my own money, and I barely had that. And so I remember, I remember when I, um, I met this guy, uh, his name is Stephen Lee. He was a, uh, he's a mentor. And, uh, he started speaking with different colleges throughout the system and whatnot that had contacts with the school district. And that was a college that was able to offer me a scholarship, and I also had a chance to work in their IT office. Uh, he brought the idea up to me doing what I think our senior brunch, if I'm not mistaken, with all our mentors. And I said, it sounds like a plan, because I would see everybody else had posted letters of colleges and different type of places that they got accepted to. And I think I was like one of the only ones out of my class that uh, didn't have a college posted on the board. <clears throat> I think I applied to full sale. I got into full sale. And I was like, you know, if everything else doesn't work out, I do full sale. I didn't know at the time full sale was like a super expensive place to go to. Uh, you barely get any uh, funds to go there. So I applied to full sale. I got into full sale. So I put that paper off on the wall with everybody else. Um, not realizing for sale, it's not really, you know, you're, you're um, a school. But I applied to Arkansas Baptist College. I got in. I got accepted. 
I got a scholarship, academic scholarship to go there. Uh, my grades wasn't the best grades, but my grades were good enough to get into school. Um, I did the ACT, SAT, and all that stuff. I got all that stuff finished. And I remember getting accepted into Arkansas Baptist College. And that was the easy part. Uh, little did I know when I would go home. Uh, later on that week, I would go home and I would... I, I didn't tell my folks at all about this process at all. Um, nobody knew about it. My brother was going to a different school around the 11th grade. <clears throat> he already had his goals. Um, we wasn't trying to do the same thing. Of course, he was good at computers or whatnot, but uh, around 12th grade or whatnot, 11th, in the 11th grade, he was in another school. I was in the same school. Uh, but I... I Never told anybody about my plans. I was actually scared and worried. I wanted it to be a surprise, to be honest. Um, I didn't know what to say. So uh, I, when I first told my adoptive mother about the process, or at least I remember uh, this like it was yesterday. We was in the car driving down the street, and she asked us, hey, um, what do you guys want to go to school? Uh, or she asked us, what are you guys doing after you graduate? Uh, my brother had already got a job at one of the major hospitals in the city. Pays a lot. Great job. <clears throat> he worked there for about a couple of years or whatnot. Or whatnot. And so it's a good job, a good place. She asked me, and I said, well, I got accepted into school. Boy, I, I it was the uh, end of our relationship in a way. Uh, it would things would never be the same afterwards. Of course, before this, things was already at a, a conflict level. I was rebellious. I wanted to do certain things, and so our relationship wasn't one hundred percent solid. And in order to uh, to to lay this on her, I guess was a devastating blow to our relationship completely. It was like me burning a bridge forever and uh, <clears throat> I didn't know this at the time but I burnt that bridge when I told her about school and if I could go back in time and probably do it all over again I would probably engage include her in the uh, conversations but that's a story for another time <clears throat> about going back in time um, <clears throat> excuse me so but I remember telling her and I burnt that bridge, and she got upset. Oh, man, it was crazy. And so leading up towards graduation, I will continue to try to feed her information about the process, and she denied her assistance. And, and, and you know, for me, as a student who's about to graduate from high school, um, 18, 19, or whatever, 17, 18, whatever, those I'm still a teenager, so I'm trying to get this through my mind. What am I going to do without any assistance from the person who raised me all my life, who brought me up? And in my head, I'm like, well, I know enough about FAFSA. She has to sign it. Uh, the law requires your guardian to, to sign it. Uh, so I, I will bring that up to her. And, boy, I, I tell you, it was the most crazy uh, times from 11th to 12th was the most craziest living environment 
Um, I would bring up FAFSA. Uh, all I needed was just a signature, nothing else. And that's all I needed. And I remember saying to myself, well, if I don't get this signature, I, I can't go to school. I can't do this. I can't reach my dreams in life. At the time, I, I guess I didn't have a destination at the time. Um, I didn't have a 100% solid proof plan. I was going to get my general studies, and I wanted to get that degree so I can do something better. I know that with a general studies, you can get a wide selected range of jobs, and you had a chance to um, to actually do something with, with your life. And I didn't want to go into the military. I didn't want to go serve and get shot up or anything like that. So I want to do something different. Uh, so I decided to pursue college. And unfortunately, that was my downfall with my relationship with the person who raised me. And so I continued to stress to her that I needed her signatures for FAFSA, uh, just just to get her signature was all I needed. Um, everything else was already taken care of. Of course, you got scholarships, but you need the FAFSA still. I still had to pay for other stuff. I still had to pay for housing. <clears throat> so in my head, I'm like, you know, how how am I going to do this without her help? Uh, but I went ahead and proceeded on um, with the process. I continued. Uh, of course, at times it got to the point to where the police got involved numerous of times. I mean, but I, I, we talk about tensions of hardwood officers now at the moment. Um, but the police got involved. I got a chance to meet almost every police officer that worked in that zone on the patrol beats uh, because they was called. I would get upset because she wouldn't sign the fastwood, and and I blame myself for this. I, I would get upset. I would get frustrated with the uh, with her uh, not signing a fast way. This was a big deal to me because I had committed myself to doing this, and I would get upset and I would yelling and cuss and fuss. You know how teenagers are were rebellious, so that rebellious was coming out of me a little bit more. I felt like I was being held back, so I started to be more rebellious, uh, but. It got to the point to where I would get kicked out for numerous hours or whatnot, and I had to stay outside on the porch and just sit there until the tensions uh, de-escalated between us. And and if I could go back in time and probably change all that, I probably would. I, I definitely would. It wouldn't be a problem. I definitely would approach it at a different situation um, because I'd rather not have the fear of getting shot or tased or whatnot or a record over FAFSA, <laughs> a signature. I, I, I rather risk not having to go through all that at the, at the time. I rather risk not burning this bridge so bad that I would regret it in the end. Um, so I, I continue. This would happen time after time. The cops would get caught. I would get kicked out. Um, I wouldn't be allowed to go places with, with them or whatnot. So it, it, it started to, my living situation turned from Heaven um, to the worst place on earth at the moment for me and my eyes, and, and that's how I saw it. Um, so I, I started to uh, proceed on down the journey. I was like, I got to do this. I can't give up. So I contacted my mentor. I was told, hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. So I went ahead and just signed her name on the password. <laughs> this is illegal, I, I guess, in, in a way.
I don't know, but your guardian is required to sign, so I guess it's not. But I think I left it blank. Yeah, I left it blank intentionally on FAFSA. And I got, I remember graduating from high school, uh, walking across the stage or whatnot. I remember feeling, still feeling some type of way. And I remember when it came time for me to pack and head on down to Arkansas, man, I, I felt like I had lost a part of me getting on that bus. Um, she still provided the basic needs for me, for me to to leave whatnot. I, I packed my bags and I knew that I had to get on that bus to get to Arkansas Baptist College. Um, leaving the state was probably the most hardest part for me to do. I mean, of course I left the state before, but not in this sense. So leaving to go to school out of state was, I had no health insurance. Um, <clears throat> I only had a few necessities. I didn't have that many clothes. I had a couple of suits, maybe about one or two suits, a, a bunch of dress shirts. Um, by this time, I, I started buying stuff from Goodwill, and I started taking donations from different people and whatnot. People donated their hand-me-downs, and that's what I wore. Um, and I never bought anything new. So I was leaving Atlanta, Georgia with zero bucks in my pocket. Um, and I got to Arkansas. Actually, I got on a bus. I remember getting on that first bus trip down there. Uh, the school, my high school, provided access to get there, to get to Arkansas at the college. So that was that was a good part. I didn't have to pay for a ticket or anything like that. So I remember hopping on that bus, and um, I felt some type of way. The entire ride from Atlanta, Georgia, up into Arkansas, I didn't sleep. Um, I still had a f phones and whatnot that I had bought myself, but... I didn't sleep. Um, I wasn't satisfied with my life. I felt like I was giving away my life at the moment. And so moving forward, I I felt some type of way. I remember arriving to the uh, college campus and I go, I made it, you know? In my head, I'm thinking I made it. But then I'm also inside of my head, I'm like, what did I just do to myself? Because here I am arriving at a, um, a HBCU it's an underfunded university uh, college. It's not the best college in the world. It still ain't the best. Mm -hmm. I, I'll admit that. <clears throat> um, I got a scholarship to go there. I don't have any money. I'm broke. I'm hungry. I'm broke, busted, and disgusted, as some would say. Um, so here I am, fresh out of high school, fresh into college, ready to ready to uh, study to get this general studies degree. Um, at the time, I didn't want to pursue a different degree, so I got a general studies degree, and that's what I went ahead and finished. Man, uh, a couple couple months in, I got a job working within the IT office that I was promised that I would get or whatnot. So I was interning there, had a different job working as a uh, uh, C-SWEP is what they called their financial aid program, work study. I had that job, and then I got another job working as a canvasser and job after job after job. But I think about my second month there, I had like four different jobs or whatnot. Swaving away at school, I was became a residential assistant. 
after my first semester. And I remember I wanted a residential assistant job so bad that I would wake up during my first semester around 3 o'clock. I'd be ready by 5, get outside by 6, walk around, pick up trash off the ground <clears throat> around campus, uh, hoping that I would be recognized to uh, be selected for the uh, leadership position of residential assistant. And so that was me when I was struggling to survive. I barely had any money. I was using the financial aid that I was given to get lunch, um, one meal a day. And I was I was slaving away at a work school and I was pushing pushing my way through. Um, of course, what I didn't know was that financial aid was going to catch up to me and they surely did caught up to me. I remember when I first got the first letter, I ignored it. <clears throat> as, as a general sign, you would you would you want to stay peptimistic. And so, you know, I had all these different jobs. I, I was doing this. I was doing that. So I ignored the first letter they sent me. Uh, of course, apparently, I guess they ignored it too because they didn't come after me until like my second semester, third semester. Um, I, I was able to go home. It wasn't a peaceful transition. I, I I would go back home and I would still live in the same situation I had left, and I would still feel horrible, of course, because it wasn't the same relationship. Like I said, I burnt that bridge, but when I would get back to school, uh. I remember it was like a year later and financial aid finally caught up to me. Uh, they, I was selected for, um, I think it's called verification. And when you're selected for verification and financial aid, they take you through the hoops, take you through all the uh, holes that you're supposed to go through and make sure that everything is legit. You know, they called me into to ask me for my ID, ask me for my social security card and all this different type of stuff. You know, I filled all the paperwork out and they go say, Hey, we, we are missing your signature for your guardian. And even though I'm legal, you know, to 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 be outside of the state of Georgia or whatever or to go to school or whatnot, they still needed that signature. And so, you know, I call. Well, first I'm devastated because I leave the office. I go back to my room. I'm sitting in my room. I'm thinking, how, how am I supposed to uh, actual get this signature? If I couldn't get it the first time, how am I supposed to get it now? And I, um, I, I sit, it was towards the end of the semester, so I was lucky that it was coming up to a break. Uh, the same high school mentor that I met in high school, I got a bus for all the students who came from Atlanta, Georgia. So we got on that bus, we went back home. I remember calling, actually, before I went home. I would try everything to not be able to get that signature, I went to the IRS building and got a paper that said that I was able to file taxes on my own, uh, that nobody else was able to claim me, stuff like that. And I remember trying to go through every hoop before I got, before it was time to get on that bus. And um, <clears throat> I remember getting another letter from the school saying that, hey, you can't come back until you can afford to go here. Because the academic scholarship only covers so much. Um, at the time, I didn't know who to reach out to. I wasn't going to... I didn't want it to depend on people, and so that's something that, that I was big on. I was like, I can't depend on people. And so I remember them saying, hey, you can't come back. So I was basically kicked out because I couldn't afford it. And, boy, what I learned. 
so I, I got kicked out, couldn't couldn't afford it, and so I was sent home uh, during a break. So I, I went back to Atlanta, Georgia, and here I am. I, I hoped it to uh, leave there. I only come back when I got my degree, but I was back because I was kicked out of school. And so while other students were preparing to go back to school or preparing for holidays, I'm sitting up here worried about what I'm going to do for school. And I, I remember stressing that importance to, to our whatnot. We went through Christmas, went through all this, and then it got time to get ready to go back to school. There was no having that. Um, so before everything went, went by, uh, before school started back up, I eventually got kicked out. Um, I tried to find a job here. I tried to find a job there. Uh, in the city, man, they talk about so many jobs there in the city, but it's not that many. Uh, they're, they're, they're not looking for freshies. I was still freshman, sophomore, so I wasn't about to graduate with no degree. Just got a high school diploma, that's it. And then I was kicked out um, because I couldn't find it. Actually, I found one job, and it was with my uncle, adoptive uh, brother, um, or uncle or whatnot. And he gave me a job working on cars. And I remember I was slave day and night, taking out engine transmissions, motors. Uh, this is the first time I went to go work for him or whatnot, and I remember taking out engines and transmissions and stuff like that, replacing brake pads and learned how to work on cars during that time. Uh, so I got the job. Um, unfortunately, that job wasn't enough. Um, I was asked to pay rent. I couldn't afford rent because it was like I'm trying to afford to go cover school. And I wasn't getting paid enough working anyway. So it was only like 5 or 10 or 20 $50 at the end of the week. That's nothing. That's pocket change if you live in the city. Uh, and, excuse my language, but hell, that's pocket change if you live anywhere. Uh, but it was it was hard to uh, survive off that amount. And so I, I would try to save up, but I couldn't save up because I 50 bucks in, in a week, and that's if you get paid. So I was raking in nothing. Um, so she uh, threw me out, actually. And, man, it was, I remember the day was actually like drizzling. And it came time to make that decision. I'm going to either get thrown out or get the cops called on me again. And so I was actually kicked out from that uh, house at that time. And it was, uh, of course, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I got to go. Can't, can't get the cops called on me. I'm not trying to go to jail. I'm trying to get back to school. So it was either leave and get find my way back to school or, or leave and uh, or stay and go to jail uh, because it's her house. It's not mine. Uh, she legally has the right to kick me out. And so I was able to, um, I remember that day it was drizzling, it was raining, and I grabbed, grabbed a big trash bag, black trash bag, um, and I remember putting all my stuff in there and just grabbing my little bag, my backpack, and all my belongings or whatnot, and just leaving, walking outside. And I started walking down the street, uh, and then I proceeded. My, um, for, fortunately for me, my uh, adoptive brother was able to uh, take me in for a day or two or whatnot, and then he got got me a place, a little apartment, studio apartment. It was two hundred bucks a week, and Jesus, two hundred bucks 
every week. And so I was like, man, I'm going to have to really work. Um, and I, I moved to Cobb County, which is way – or Riverdale, Cobb County, one or the other. And that's way outside of the uh, Atlanta limits. And that's that's pretty far from where I'm from. Uh, lots of different places to live and rent. It's not cheap in Atlanta. $200 a week for a studio apartment, which only included one bedroom, one bath, um, and then a joint kitchenette with cable. And so I remember uh, waking up the next day, I had to get straight back to work. Started working on cars, got a little bit more knowledge and information, did some crazy stuff. Um, and I remember cutting off my uh, finger. I was working on a truck and I remember cutting my finger and, and I, at, at that point, at that point in my uh, life, I, I decided that I, um, mechanic is not for me at that point, but I was like, well, I got to do it anyways because I need to make the money. I still wasn't working, raking in any money. I was only making like 10 bucks. Rest of it was going towards either a phone bill and the apartment, and that was it. So I wasn't making anything, to be honest. I had enough to buy food, and that was it. And so I remember going back to the place, I was sitting in my room and I was staring at the wall and I'm like, man, I had it all, but I threw it away if I would have only never went to school or if I would have just listened. And so, you know, all this stuff starts to real play in your head or whatnot when you're uh, going through troubled times and you start to ask yourself, did I make the wrong decisions in life? I wasn't, I was barely going to church because I couldn't afford to go all the way back to Atlanta to go to church. So I, I started losing connections with everybody and I started going downhill <clears throat> and you know once you started to go down that that road that journey once you started to to fall down it's hard to pick yourself back up and it's hard to continue on I there are so many different struggles and stories that I could tell you but I'll, I'll give you the general story this like I said this is just an introduction but anyways um it, on a Friday night I was working at the shop it's late it's about 10, 10 o'clock, 10.59, 1130 hit. Um, we go to pick up a little snack or whatnot, and I get right back to work. I'm taking out engines from trucks or whatnot, re-putting them in and doing all this other stuff. And I continue to work. Had the same clothes, the same boots. Uh, I remember the boots, I had to hold them together with zip ties. Uh, the zip ties would cut into my skin. I, I still would wear the same boots because I had nothing to replace them. And so I would wear the same clothes and the same items every day <clears throat> and, and and slave hard back at work, hoping that my pay rate would change or whatnot. So, and, and you know, I, I got the courage to ask my, uh, my doctor brother. I was like, hey, man, I can't keep doing this. Uh, you can either increase my rate, my pay rate, or I'm going to walk away from this man I got to get back in school I knew that I had the intentions to uh do this and I knew that I had the mindset to do this so I was like you know what I got to actually put my mind to it and so it was that night <clears throat> around 12 o'clock pitch dark I finished doing my job at the shop I questioned him one more time about my pay rate I was ignored they was over there talking inside of the garage. I dropped everything I was doing, started walking. 
And, you know, once you set your mind to something, uh, it's hard to change your mind from doing something. And and that's, I started walking, it's pitch dark. Only thing I had was 20 bucks in my pocket. My phone was on 50%. Um, I had a charger. That's about it. The work clothes I had on was covered in oil and transmission fluid, sweat, blood and tears or whatnot. I had the same black boots on <clears throat> with zip ties. Um, I got some new zip ties, <laughs> cut the old ones off and put on some new ones and zip tied my boots together. I was like, you know what? If this is for me, surely I'll find a path back to where I belong. Uh, so I started walking. I left behind the apartment. I left behind everything. I didn't let anybody know about anything. And, you know, that's the same mistake that I continue to make over and over as you would start to see throughout my stories or whatnot. I... Um, Continue to make the same mistakes of not connecting with anybody, and that's an issue uh, that I will later on in life have to address. But man, I I left everything. I started walking, and I think it's like 14, 15, 17 miles to get back to Atlanta. And I remember sleeping back on on side of park benches and inside of the road, and then I remember just falling asleep or whatnot. Once I made it to a certain point, and I would get get back up and walk again, take a nap, get back up and walk again, and these naps only last about a minute or so, because uh, you're in the city, you can get robbed anywhere. Uh, there's been plenty of times that I was this close to being robbed or whatnot, or hurt because of what I had, and regardless of what you have, man, it, it, life on the streets is totally different. Uh, so at that point, I was homeless. <clears throat> Pretty much at this time, at this time in life, I was homeless. Um, I stayed on the streets for about two days, to be honest. Uh, and I finally made it back into Atlanta. And um, that third day, I was still on the street. And I remember walking downtown. I had $20 in my pocket. I remember walking past the McDonald's. And, you know, I seen the dollar menu symbol in the window and I was like man I could spend these 20 bucks right now or or I can keep it and just try to make it to a shelter so that I have something to uh actually sleep somewhere I'm tired of sleeping on the street no other shelter would have helped me because it there was four so <clears throat> around 12 o'clock that afternoon I was like man I got to find myself somewhere to stay um I remember walking into the transition house for men who who was on uh, drugs or whatnot, and I remember going into that place, and I was sitting there for just to catch my breath. I was like, man, you know what? I'm gonna come in here, try to get some water, relax, so that I can be able to sleep back on the street and stay up all night, so I won't get robbed. Um, but I remember going into that place, and I remember meeting this this guy who uh, worked there, and he was like, hey, how old are you? I wasn't, I was about 18 at, at the most, 18, 19 at the most. Um, mind you, I'm the youngest person in the place. Uh, it's, these are all old, everybody else are homeless. They own drugs, and you can tell they, they're they're cracked up, methed out, and stuff like that. And I'm sitting next to these people, and I, I start to reminisce. I start I start, start to rethink. In other words, I start to uh, rethink about my life before this all happened because beforehand 
I used to work at a shelter. I mean, at a warehouse where we would give out food to the homeless people. I used to volunteer on Wednesdays, Sundays, and Saturdays, giving out food to the homeless people. I used to help give back to the community. I remember serving homeless people. And here I was, sitting alongside some of those same homeless people who I once gave food to, who I once told them, hey, man, it's going to be all right. You can make it through your uh, troubles. And I used to give food and, and, and give items to these people at churches. I used to go volunteer all across Georgia with my church and with different churches and with different organizations. I used to spend my time in community service giving back <clears throat> during my younger ages in high school and middle school growing up. We grew up in the church, so we grew up in service, uh, giving back to the community. And I remember seeing some of the same people and I know they would notice me and they would go, dang, isn't that the same guy who, oh man, he was over on uh, Fulton Industrial, giving out food to people, helping. And, and I remember the guy who I spoke to, one of the uh, homeless guys who I spoke to, he was like, I know you. I was like, yeah, I used to work at uh, Fountain of Hope. I used to help give out food. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm homeless myself, so I'm here to try to get some service. But I remember speaking to the guy who worked in Georgia Works. Georgia Works is a program for uh, transition men, um, people who uh, who were drug users, who got locked up and who were trying to transition from out of the streets back into society. And I remember joining that program. I went up there and I told the guy my story. And I said, hey, man, I'm not trying to ask you guys for anything. I'm just trying to find a place to stay so I can get back on my feet. And I'm trying to get back into society myself. Um, I've never been addicted to anything. And uh, the funniest part, and I can look back at this and laugh right now, but <clears throat> I remember going to AA meetings. And, and anybody that doesn't know what an AA meeting is, that's a meeting where if you're addicted to uh, alcohol, um, they got them for different type of addictions as well, different type of drug addictions. and. And I remember going into those meetings and I would sit down <clears throat> at the table after I got accepted into the program. I would sit down at the table at the inside of the uh, organization and whatnot. And everybody would introduce themselves and they would state their addiction. And when it came time to me, I used to try to hide because I'm like, man, I never did drugs a day in my life. I never touched the uh, uh, weed or anything a day in my life. I never drunk anything. So I'm not addicted to anything. And everybody will go, oh, man, you're just in denial. It's okay. Stand up and do this and that and the other. Like, I'm not addicted. And so the guys were like, hey, don't rush them this time. We'll get them next time. And each time I would go back and, and, and I would tell them, hey, man, I'm not addicted to anything. Listen, I'm just here for to get back into society so I can support myself in going to school. And each time I would go back, they could have sworn that I was in denial. And so I always, when I used to hear the people's stories, I'm like, this is why I'm not addicted because I can't do this because I would hear their stories and it would be some of the most horrible stories. They would talk about how they would get coked up on the side of the street. Uh, they would use the same needles and, and all this other type of, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> uh, I, I used to hear a bunch of stuff and it, it's, it's crazy what being homeless, um, what I experienced and, and that's what I learned. Uh, but anyways, I, I proceeded to get into school from that program because I got a job I was making 500 bucks a week actually uh, more than 500 bucks a week man I was making bank 
from that program, and it was the best program that I could have got into, that home, that home and shelter program. And it was, it, it's a ton of stuff you can learn from that situation. There's a ton of stories I got from that situation. Um, we're nearing the hour mark for this podcast, and I don't want to go over an hour, but my experiences in life, uh, it took me through different trials and tribulations, uh, different journeys, different paths. I got to meet different people who I never thought I would be able to meet. And I got to go different places based on my journey. And I was able to see things that most people growing up around my age would probably never see a day in their life. And the reason I'm doing this podcast is to... Uh, kind of let people on the inside and kind of be transparent. I, I like to be transparent with, with people, and I believe that if somebody can hear my story of how I went through all the things that I went through, they could maybe be inspired by what I went through. And um, I'm not saying I'm a perfect saint right now. I'm not saying I'm the perfect human being on the planet. I'm not saying I'm the best at what I do. Uh, I'm still in school. I'm a graduate student trying to make it as well. I'm not the richest person. I'm not the most wealthiest. Um, I'm not the most smartest person. I'm still ain't the most because I got two or three degrees. It's still I'm still not the best in the game. But if somebody can see what I went through and what I've been through in life, I believe that my story and my journeys in life and my what I went through pretty much could be a foundation to somebody else's success. They could use my journey to help better themselves and to understand how um, everybody's life is different. And I was able to go from having everything that I needed, not that I wanted everything that I needed, to having nothing back to having everything and then also falling off that wagon once more. And here I am today. Um, so... I just want to thank everybody for listening, if you're listening, and please share. Um, get the word out there. Um, this is the first time I'm doing this, so you may have noticed that my voice probably went from clear to raspy all of a sudden. I, I get emotional, I guess, on the inside, and I get frustrated with myself um, for the stuff I did and what I went through. Um, because, to be honest... I felt like I deserved worse, sir. Um, so that's why my voice is probably changing. I guess I feel kind of awkward sharing these uh, moments with the public. And so I plan to create more podcasts. So this is episode one of this one. Um, and I plan to do more. And hopefully when I'm done, we can have like at least 10 episodes at the most. But this one is called No Destination. I just want to thank you guys for listening to the Episode one, no destination needed. Um, Cal's space. You can follow me on YouTube. I'm also on Facebook and Spotify. Uh, so thanks for listening. And uh, I'll see you on episode two where I get into uh, a little deeper into the homeless situation part two. Uh, thanks.